a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Now let's, yes, the answer is, if a song says the word God, it should be singing about Jesus. But the question here is, Jesus mentioned by name or concept, is that, is it, is it clear that the person that we're singing to is Jesus? You start to separate others. So I have more good works than that person. And so this is where pietism ends up, that, uh, oh, I'm a better Christian because I have more good works than you. Our, our our evangelism program would basically be like a roast. <laughs> it's been said that all good things come to an end, and this includes the hiatus from Pastor Wolf Mueller's <laughs> hosting of Table Talk Radio. Um, but we shall endure. I'm sorry to come back. I I thought I thought it was for real. You said, "Hey, I got your sub. Uh, you know, your permanent substitute, Boy. Pastor Ketchemeyer." And I said, "Oh, finally, we did too." But see, um, the reason. Uh, what's yeah? What's the problem? Well, he thought. I, he still wants to be a guest to come and whoop you on Bible Bee. He, he was afraid that if he became the host, he could never have the opportunity to whip you on Bible Bee. So I don't. I was listening to that show for five minutes, and uh, and I couldn't believe how much stuff that guy knows. I know. I just you know I, I we were gonna have this this discussion, and I realized I was uh, out of my league of having a discussion with that guy. So I just kind of threw him a few bones and just let him go for a while. It's amazing how he knows all this stuff about the two natures of Christ and the Trinity in the Old Testament, and yeah, and, and the books of the Bible. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think he reads Johann Gerhard <laughs> all the time. That's probably his problem. Well, we're bringing it today because we have uh, a fantastic lineup. Um, I think we've played this game once before, but never under this name. Um, I just kind of I'm calling this translating evangelicalisms. How do you like that? Is that a good name? Oh, Is yeah, that kind of like perfect. snakes on a plane? It's like um, it's like the gift of tongues. No, you have the gift of tongues <laughs> and then the gift of interpretation of tongues. So now we see oh, today yeah, if yeah. I have the gift of interpretation. Okay, so what this, what this is, is we're going to say a few evangelical-isms, and Pastor Wolfmuller, uh, drawing on his vast experience, is going to translate this for us, and then we're going to talk about these uh, theologically, how, how these... Uh, what, what, what maybe uh, is theologically grounding statements uh, such as these. And in the last half hour of the program, we are going to be playing Witch Ladder with some oh, uh, pretty fascinating audio clips. Uh, so that's coming up. But first... Look at all that show prep you did. I know. What, what yeah. show prep did you do? I got a blank piece of paper here oh. for notes. Does it, does it have a buzzword on it? Yes, a buzz phrase. Okay. Ready? You ready. Clarity of Scripture. Did I take yours? No. Did you hear that last week, though? No. Pastor Ketchumar and I both picked the same buzzword. <laughs> you did? Yeah. We both had efficacious. Oh, nice. Huh. That's weird. Uh, I almost picked that, the efficacy of the scripture. That would have been... <laughs> but I had it right here on my list. So clarity... On this, you know, I'm working on this book, you know. Are you? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, I'm getting ready for Israel 2015, if anyone's interested. What else should I advertise? Are you going to start plugging things in the, in the next decade? <laughs> charging myself for my own airtime here. <laughs> the clarity of the Scripture means that the Scriptures are clear. Now, what it doesn't mean, by the way, is that you instantly know what the Bible says when you read it the first time. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's... 
that uh, it's easy to understand the scripture, but it does at least mean that the scriptures are understandable. And this is against the idea of both of, of the theological persuasions that have fallen off the cart of the Lutheran doctrine one way or the other. So Rome denies the clarity of the scripture, and it says, look, the priests and, in fact, the church, the bishops, etc., and finally the pope have the authority to interpret the scripture because you can't tell what it means by itself. That's the one side that you have the confession of the muddiness of the scripture. And then on the other side, you have the kind of... Uh, Pentecostal, charismatic, evangelical sort of thing that says that um, uh, that the the scriptures has to be internally illuminated. Mm-hmm. So to know what they mean, you have to have the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not true. You have to have the work of the Holy Spirit to believe the scriptures, but not to know what they say. That's a denial of the clarity. And then you have, a, I guess, you have a third way to deny the clarity of the scripture, and that would be uh, the the liberal churches, which go and say, well, some of it is God's word and some of it is man's word, and we're going to sort out the difference. Mm. That that also is a denial of the claritas. Of course, the the first person to deny the doctrine of the clarity of scripture is the devil. When right? He said, Did God really say? Yeah, yeah. So, oh man. Uh, okay, my theological buzzword for you is justification. <clears throat> and justification is according. This is uh, we have this fantastic resource at tabletalkradio.org of buzzwords from three years ago that says <laughs> justification means to, <laughs> de- to declare righteous. Now, that is a fantastic definition of justification. I'll tell you why. Because what that definition why? lacks is any talk of process. <laughs> yeah. What, what uh, Rome, I mean, here we go again with the two sides of this, that one side that Rome and also our evangelical friends have the tendency to, um, uh, to maybe, uh, well, let me, let me start with Rome. Rome defined justification as a process that, that referred more to your um, ontological disposition before God, so that in order for you to be righteous, you must be made righteous. And this was a big problem because if you're, um, if, it's, if if in order for you to stand before God on Judgment Day, you must be made righteous, you're always going to be living in fear. Like Luther, he's saying, boy, I'm supposed to be becoming righteous, and I'm not all that righteous. I keep on sinning. Um, now, I think if we were to ask our evangelical friends, they uh, would possibly define justification correctly, uh, depending on maybe who you're talking to. But um, de facto, as it's lived out, uh, the the emphasis on uh, sanctification um, makes one standing before God based upon their holy living rather than upon what they would define justification to be in the first place. Is that, is that fair, you think? Yes. Okay. So, justification. Got it. All right. So, let's let's do a little translation of evangelicalisms. The first yeah. evangelicalism I have for you, Pastor Wolf, I'm going to translate for us is... It's a God thing. <laughs> now, could you use it in context? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so-and-so <laughs> called me, and it was amazing that he had the very thing that I needed. It was just a God thing. <laughs> That's nice. I like that. That is an evangelical. Where did you find these, by the way? Uh, life experience. Did you just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a God thing. This means that... Um... Uh, this is a this is a way uh, this is a way of recognizing that something uh, that something both good and co- coincidental must have been more than coincidental. 
Uh, so it is an attempt to recognize that the source of this good and quite more than coincidental thing uh, had its source in our Heavenly Father, uh, God. So uh, uh, now it is a that is a, a weird sort of phrase. I wonder if I, I don't think I ever used that because it's a, it is just kind of a, it's a little bit awkward. But I don't wonder if there, there might be something good behind it. You know, you know, our friend Luther. When he's teaching uh, the t- kids how to keep the second commandment and um, and honor God's name and use it properly, he says that we ought to be in the habit of praising God when good things happen and praying to God when bad things happen. And this could be just as simple as saying when something bad happens, we say, Lord, have mercy. Mm-hmm. And when something good or joyful happens, we say, well, God be praised. And I don't wonder if that's the Lutheran sort of way of saying it's a God thing. <laughs> Now, to analyze this theologically, would there be anything wrong with saying that, you know, this wonderful thing um, took place and it seemed like a coincidence, but it is really orchestrated by an almighty God? Um, theologically, could we? Uh, I mean, I, cu- I think we could, but the problem is we don't want to limit God things to good things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, so I mean, a, a tornado <laughs> hits and you think, uh, God be praised, it's a God thing. <laughs> right, I, I that's mean, right. I mean, like what what does job say um uh shall i receive good from the lord and also not bad so here job's house collapses on his kids and job is able to recognize that's a god thing too and in fact you know the chief thing about our sanctification i mean our doing good works and being christians in this life is that we suffer with patience <laughs> i mean that's a chief good work of the christian life because jesus dumps all these crosses on us and then we got to endure them so we also say this of it's a it, you know that the bad stuff it's a god thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean so certainly we see God working through those uh tragedies uh through these hardships. Um uh, and this is the very theology of the cross, right? So that I always talk about you know, put yourself um at the you know outside Jerusalem around 33 or whatever the real date was <laughs> AD. When, when Jesus being crucified, if you were there and you were looking around, you would say, um, this is the worst event in all of human history. Right. That, that this person I was following, this rabbi who I understood to be the very son of God, is now being crucified and put to death on the cross. You would think that God had completely abandoned his son and us. But in fact, what God is doing through that event is saving all of human history. It's not the worst event. It's actually the, the greatest event of human history. And so it is, in, uh, I think, in our circumstances as well, we can't see with our eyes the very thing that God is working through these uh, horrific events, but he is working all things for our good, um, for those who, who love God. Is it because you have a picture of the cross and have at the bottom? It's a God thing. <laughs> that's not, that's the next T-shirt, the next Table Tech Radio T-shirt. The crucifix, <laughs> and then it's a God thing. Okay, we need to go to a break. If you have evangelicalisms you need us to translate for you, send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org, or give us a call, 1-800-385-SOLA. More translation to be done after this commercial break. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Carl Fikencher, professor at Concordia Theological Seminary. Table Talk Radio is the best radio program ever. 
Okay, I said it. Now will you let me go? Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We are your evangelicalism translating servants. Shake your peaches, yeah, yeah. Wow. You wanted me to sing the last one too? That's all together. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I noticed when um, I was in uh, high school and then I started going to the uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, I noticed that there was a completely different vocabulary um, that was taking place amongst my uh, friends of, of, of various church bodies. And then when I stepped into the Lutheran Church, a, a whole completely different vocabulary. And it's yes. because there's a whole different theology at play. Did you notice yes. the same thing? Yes. Oh, indeed, did I ever. So our our task here today is to try and get at the bottom of the theology of the different vocabulary. And another one, Pastor Wolfman, that I hear from time to time, this comes maybe in, a, in several different forms, uh, when someone says something like, when I was born again, or uh, <laughs> are you a born-again Christian? <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a biblical phrase that's been stolen from the Bible and made to mean something else. So our friends, the revivalists, you know, I... I have in this book I'm writing. <laughs> good night. Hey, uh, could you I do a little more? That's not the buzzword. Could you, <laughs> could you do a little more self-promotion? <laughs> well, I'm thinking about it. That's why I don't even promote. My, I'm just thinking about this thing because because I'm. Um, uh, but anyway, I I tr- I was trying to ferret out the characteristics of American Christianity. Uh, and so, a pietism, of course, mysticism, enthusiasm. But the, you know what? I think the number one thing that, that kind of defines the theology of evangelicalism is this revivalism, and that means that the the revival the, the these are all really the same thing: revivalism, pietism, mysticism, enthusiasm. Uh, they they revolve around the same sort of thing, and it is that I've now I'm I'm asserting my will towards God's word. So God's word tells me to repent, and now I repent. That's and the revival is getting me to repent, and then God's word tells me to do these sorts of laws, and so I'm doing them, good works, and that's the Pietism part. Um, so that, so that, that this this idea that I've asserted myself to become God's child, I've made a decision for Christ, I've accepted Him in my heart, I've surrendered my life, or whatever it is, this is the revivalism that defines uh, American Christianity and. Uh, and that idea of giving yourself over to God, that's the definition of being born again. Now, it's not the biblical definition. The Bible uses the phrase, I mean, the, the, the language of being born again four times. John 3, Titus 3, First uh, Peter 1, and James 1. And, and all of them speak of the work of God, just like we did not choose to be born the first time. You're, I mean, you're sitting there in your mom's womb, and you're like, yeah, it's a good day. Let's do this thing. I submit myself, or I surrender myself to the light, or whatever. I don't know how. How would you make a decision to be born the first time? Uh, knock on the walls. Yeah, like your dad is sitting there preaching to you. It's time for you to give up your womb-loving ways. <laughs> to come out here and join us. And you're like, I'm not sure, Dad. If you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart to come now. Tugging on the umbilical cord. <laughs> Right. It's a little revival in the hospital, and then the baby's born. 
And then you get to do it all again. You go to the you go to the service when you're ten or nine or fifteen or whatever, and you get preached to. Hey, you got to repent. Oh yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to repent. No, the Bible talks about your second birth is just as much as an act of your own will as the first birth was. But I think attached to this though um, is uh, the whole experience of this. Yeah. So yeah. so you have people, you know, maybe even in a in a church body that that baptizes infants and they'll say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh went through the grew up in the church, but when I had this experience, then I was born again." Yeah. yeah. So so there's there's this there's this uh almost a greater thing than eh, just word and sacrament. It's this experience I had. And this this really echoes um, you know, our friend uh, John Wesley. You remember this? John Wesley was sitting there reading Luther's commentary to Romans, and then he has this this eye-opening assurance experience. And then he goes on and does all these like holy clubs and, and accountability groups and things like this. Um, but it was all about this assurance experience. And if he didn't have this experience, he couldn't be assured of his salvation. I was, you know, that my, uh, you know, our co-host Ketchemeyer was telling me about this thing that Zwingli discovered the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, his doctrine that Jesus' body and blood wasn't there in a vision. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Huh. <laughs> it was, I mean, all of this is the same sort of thing. You know, you have these experiences, and and I got where's that Gideon's Bible that hanging around here somewhere that says on the back page it says that the moment you're supposed to write down the moment when I gave my life to Christ, and then they'll say, you know, you are now born again. Now, what I want to do, I want to go to one of these revival things. One of these, uh, uh, you know, where, where I'm now to make a decision for Christ. And, and the preacher, you know, preaches first for half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour or whatever on how I'm supposed to live the Christian life. And then at the end, he says, now, for all of you who aren't Christians yet, you got some important business to take care of today because you're a sinner. And if you don't repent, you're going to be damned to hell. But look, Jesus died for you. Now, now, how many of you, and then the band comes out and now the decision time starts, how many of you... Uh, feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. And I and I want someone to stand there and say, hey, uh, I think it's true that I'm a sinner and that Jesus died for me, but I don't feel a thing. Can I still come forward? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, away. what about that? I don't want to say, if I was preaching an altar call, I would say, now look, Jesus died for you, and your sins are absolutely washed away by his blood. Heaven is flung open. Uh, you, you are rescued, not, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus did. Before you now, even look, come down here, <laughs> you don't. You might. You're sitting there, and you might not feel a thing. You might be as cold as ice listening to what I'm saying. It does not matter. Your feelings do not matter, for heaven's sakes. Anyway, that's mm. how my revival would go. Then, uh, which would be an anti-revival. <laughs> I'd stand there and I'd speak the absolution and anyway yeah that 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 i'm not getting the the warm fuzzies out of that anyone want to I, I mean anyone yeah, i'm open for doing revivals now by the way good well why don't you uh, translate this next one for me then all right uh, the next one is are you a true christ follower oh, <laughs> yeah you see it's not a one of the marks of our friends the evangelicals um let me write this down here so i don't forget what i'm talking about true <laughs> christ hold on Make an outline on your little software program. Oh there. yeah, that's right. On this, I'm writing this book with this new software. <laughs> uh, is it? They don't like the name. Like, oh, you're a Lutheran. Well, I'm a Christian. Mm. But now that's not enough anymore. You're, I, I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Christ follower. 
I mean, it's like we got to figure out a way. I mean, the word Christian has the possibility of having too much gospel in it, so we got to come up with a new <laughs> well, word to make sure it's all law. I, but and that's what Christ follower means. But, but don't you think? I don't. I don't know that it's trying. I mean, obviously, these titles are working against something. I'm not sure that it's trying to work against uh, labels or denominationalism. I think what it's trying to work against are those um, people who go to church, call themselves Christians, but they don't take it as seriously as I do. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's the same kind of thing with the born-again Christian. Oh, you're a Christian, but I'm a born-again Christian. Right. Oh, right. you're a Christian? Well, I'm a Christ follower. And and I mean, I'm super awesome. Right, yeah. And so I think I think what has... And this is going to... You, you can include this in your chapter for Between Pride and Despair. Hold on, uh, let me write that down. You can just, you know, cite this whole chapter for you know from your favorite <laughs> co-host. Footnote. Um, <laughs> That'd be great. Okay, so... Copyright. Ta- oh, yeah, this broadcast is copyright. This is... The following production is copyrighted Table Talk Radio. So all you got to do... This broadcast may not be used in any see form. How, see how many times you can footnote Table Talk Radio in your book and then sue CPH for copyright infringement on Table Talk. <laughs> Radio. Uh, don't really do that. We will love CPH. Quiet about this. I love CPH. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to write a book, dummy. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Um. So, but what? But what? How, how this manifests is sort of this two-tier Christianity. I'm a Christ follower, but you're just a Christian. I am born yeah. again, but you're just a Christian. Um, yeah. Is because that all. All that we're hearing on Sunday morning is the preaching of the law. So the I question know, is, I are know. you a doer of the law or not? And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and this is exactly the, the, the thing that Jesus took issue with the Pharisees for. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, Jesus took issue with this? Don't, aren't we supposed to love the law? Uh, I, I was just preaching, um, uh, a few weeks ago on this text of, uh, that, that, uh, in, in Luke 15 that, that, uh, the the heavens rejoice over one sinner who repents. Yeah, and uh, and and so I talked about how uh, this is what makes God delight. If you ever wondered what makes God smile, what makes Him uh, delight is uh, when you repent of your sins. Now I contrast that in the sermon actually against Rick Warren, who in the Purpose of Life says, <laughs> "What makes God smile is when you love Him wholeheartedly. Yeah, when that's you right. when you obey Him." And I said that's exactly what the Pharisee said. The Pharisees yep. said God smiles at us because of our works. But uh, really, what makes God smile is when we don't love him wholeheartedly and we confess it. Because mm-hmm. then we're not leaning on our own righteousness. We're leaning upon the righteousness of Christ declared to us uh, in his word. Through the, This is how Paul says it. Through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. So that, so that every other religion is, look, I keep the law to live to God. But here Christianity is the opposite. I die to the law to live to God. Okay, so oh. when, we, when we get back from this break, I want you to translate what the evangelical understands the law to be in that passage. Right. And that's coming up after this commercial break. We will continue to translate a few more evangelicalisms for you after this commercial break. And then we're going to play Which Ladder. If you have evangelicalisms you need us to translate for you, we'd be happy to do that for a low cost of a few Table Talk radio points. Um, that number to report those in is 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652, or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. We'll be right back, right after this. I just don't understand. Well, you say that you need me Like the ocean needs sand But the way 
just don't understand. Table Talk Radio, answering the age-old question. If a radio show is broadcasting and no one listens, does it still make a sound? Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Pastor, before the break, you read this uh, passage from Galatians, for, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, when I read that passage as a Lutheran, I understand that to be um, that those things that tell me what to do from the law, you know, sermon based on how to become, um, you know, a, a better citizen, uh, how to get control over my finances, this kind of thing, that all that is is law, and it condemns me. But tell me then, how would the evangelical understand that passage? For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I'm not sure. We need some. We need an expert evangelical. We should get Pless on. To, how did we? What was that again? <laughs> Answer the question asked. Right, right. Through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. Maybe that's like the, this is how I would interpret it as an evangelical. So, look, it's not all about the rules. It's about the relationship. So what the evangelical will do is mm. replace one set of laws, which mm. is like the you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, with another set of laws. You got to feel this, and you got to be this way, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's the it's the replacement of a mean kind of sounding law to a nice kind of sounding law, but it is all law, and it still is this what you call the two tier Christianity, which I think is absolutely absurd. So imagine here's the picture of it. Ready? One person comes along and they say, well. Uh, I've got Jesus and his blood and his kingdom and all the riches of his name. I have an open door to heaven, and I have the righteousness that comes by faith, by trusting in Christ. I have his name put on me by baptism. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I have all the things that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit want to give to me in life. And the other person says, well, yeah, oh, yeah, I've got all that, plus my works. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh or, wow, very impressive. Oh, or, you must be born again, a true Christ follower. I have all that plus an experience that I've had. Uh, yeah, that's right. Right? I don't know how How in the world do we keep telling people to think about themselves when they have Jesus hanging around. It's mm-hmm. a, it's, it's a, okay, one more, and then we're going to get to which ladder. This last one is, the Spirit oh. moved me to tell you, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Oh, this is the great... Uh, or, this just... this is another way it might come up. Hey, we're looking for someone to, to lead the youth group. See if the Holy Spirit uh, moves you to do this. This is, again, the same sort of thing. They're like, well, I'd like to lead the youth group, but I just don't feel anything. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know. I had someone come and tell me, they said, yeah, Jesus told me this and that and this and that. And they said, well, how fantastically convenient that Jesus, you can trust Jesus, but I have to trust you. <laughs> next time you're talking to jesus tell him to tell me directly because this is really a hassle that you get to trust the almighty god but i have to trust you a sinful human being (laughs) really it really kind of stinks doesn't it that i don't don't have my soul you know tuned into the right channel like you do because you have reached you know you've how do how do uh, this is especially our pentecostal friends in evangelicalism 
or always they've they go they always talk about going to the next level, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you get to the next level and you get to hear more clearly from God. You know who started all this though? Oh, you Calvinists are not going to like this. You know who started this is Calvin. <laughs> when he says you distinguish between the two types of calling, you got mm. the external call of the word and then the internal call of the spirit. And now, I and I don't know, I mean, what most of evangelical piety is is trying to tune in your soul to the quiet voice of God. It's just not biblical. And was that an attempt to uh, deal with this fact that the, that all people hear God's word, but not all are saved. Was that was that sort of the yeah for Calvin exactly? Yeah, yeah. Many, many are called, few are chosen. That's how he took that verse and un, unwound it to say, look, you got God does two things. He preaches the external word, and then he works in, and that's to everyone. But then he works in the heart, and that's for the elect. Hmm. Wait a minute, that's not the buzzword. That was your buzzword from last time. You were telling me. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, okay, let's go to some uh, which ladder. Um, Pastor, we have three uh, three clips here and a, and a statement and have to do them. So can you uh, somewhat quickly tell us about these ladders? Yes, you got the ladder of good works. That's what we call moralism. We got the ladder of the will. That's also what we call moralism. <laughs> then you got the ladder of the psyche, with the soul. That's mysticism. Then you got the ladder of the mind. That's what we call rationalism. And the idea is that uh, that the hu- humanity, our sinful flesh, is always trying to build the ladders into heaven, one way or another. Ah, so good. what we do in this game is we listen to someone telling us something, and then we say, hey, which ladder are they telling us about? Okay, well, here's the first one. If there's one thing we know about Google, it's that the company likes taking on big challenges. Self-driving cars to reduce traffic accident, Wi-Fi equipped weather balloons to bring internet access to the third world. So how about ending death? Wednesday, Google CEO Larry Page announced the formation of Calico, a health and well-being company whose ultimate goal is overcoming human aging and mortality. Page wrote, these issues affect us all, from the decreased mobility and mental agility that comes with age to life-threatening diseases that exact a terrible physical and emotional toll on individuals and families. Calico is a Silicon Valley-wide venture. Page is putting Art Levinson, chairman of the board for both Apple and biotech company Genentech, in charge of the new company. Page hasn't revealed much about how Calico will go about curing old age and death, but what is known is that Calico will deal with data analysis and going by the numbers to decide which research to pursue. Page gave time an example of what the company has found so far. One of the things I thought was amazing is that if you solve cancer, you'd add about three years to people's average life expectancy. In the aggregate, it's not as big an advance as you might think. It's worth pointing out defeating old age isn't exactly a new concept. One of the oldest works of literature in the world, The Epic of Gilgamesh, deals with the search for immortality. But lately, the quest has started to look less like fantasy and more like science. Studies on lifespan, genetics, and gene therapy are getting more and more traction, and funding is increasing too. As a writer for Ars Technica puts it, there are a lot of very rich people out there that are getting older. Stopping death is getting more and more money thrown at it. 
Author Aubrey de Grey is one of those pushing researchers to view aging as a curable disease. He welcomed Calico, saying Google's venture might signal the end of the beginning in longevity research. Another futurist, Ray Kurzweil, argues humans will gain immortality by merging mind and machine. Google hired him earlier this year to work on artificial intelligence. So while it may be a long shot, Google has as good a chance as anyone of pulling it off. We'll second Gizmodo, who says, here's to hoping we get to see some results in a short decade or two, you know, before it's too late for us. All right. (laughs) Oh, man. You know what I can appreciate about that? What? Is that he says death is something that affects us all. Because it is. (laughs) I mean, mean, usually you hear that said with, like, feline bronchitis affects all of us. And you're going, it does? Um, but at least, you know, when it says death affects us all, he, they're right about that, right? Feline bronchitis. <laughs> what in the world is that? It affects all of us. You know, you got Sarah McLaughlin singing the song and then, you know, these oh, puppies. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Shoes are designed for people with five toes, a problem which affects all of us. <laughs> What uh so so Google's now is cracking open the fountain of youth. Yeah. Now just, there just you think go. of this. Every time your Google Chrome crashes, they're the ones <laughs> trying to cure death. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean I don't know if even even an older book, uh than older than the Epic of Gilgamesh might mention something about this, namely the Bible. Yeah, Genesis uh three, right. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Overcome death in the grave, the, talk, the, the work of Jesus. <laughs> but it is, I mean, this is, I mean, the great thing, I mean, it, it's something because the last century was full of ideo- ideologues and, and it's seen in this kind of utopianism of overcoming sin. And so the new utopianism has to overcome death. I mean, you know, you, you get rid of sin, you, show you have no particular morality, and now... What's left? I mean, we got rid of the devil. That scientific materialism took care of the devil. Mm-hmm. And then uh, utopian socialism took care of, you know, uh, whatever that other thing. Oh, yeah, sin. Now, and so now the last, the last enemy to be overcome is this is death, biblical yeah. sort of thing is death. So, yeah. Makes I, sense. I, I just thinking of the prospect of living forever in this world. I mean, you know how you know this as a pastor. How many times you visit people and they are praying fervently, uh, deliver us from evil. Yep. Uh, that they would uh, pass from this life into a life of no suffering. And and what fascinates me is that um, that there are people, and of course in their fallen state, see this world to be um, all there is, and so this is where I want to live forever. But uh, good grief, this is like this is like living in the junkyard. Uh, I mean. There's not, they're not even you know, good, good cars to thrive <laughs> or something. All right. Or something. I think this is, by the way, death will never be overcome. I mean, in, in the, with a biblical worldview, we understand that death is a lot of all man. So there could be things that, I mean, you, you could possibly, I mean, overcome certain things. Like, you know, we see advances in medicine and things, so people are living longer. But that longer life just exposes, uh, it kind of unfolds new diseases. So you have cancer and, and Alzheimer's and heart disease, etc. Now you overcome cancer and Alzheimer's and heart disease, and maybe you do that. And in 10 years, people are living to an average of 105 years old or something. But then it is going to expose a new way to die. And then everyone will be dying from some other thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Uh, I wonder if people would still retire at like 65 and then 
you know, just do nothing for infinite number of years. I can't believe you just insulted our retirement age. I did not insult them. I'm just saying that if, you just if said they death is not anything. a threat. Okay. I, I heard you. We'll be right back. Play more <laughs> Witch Ladder. Don't go away. You know that we are climbing Jacob's Ladder to the sky. We are climbing you higher Jacob's Ladder Hallelujah. where we shall never Ask me why, but you've been listening to Table Talk Radio. One more segment of Table Talk Radio playing Witch Ladder and Pastor Wolfmuller. Which ladder is it if you attempt to cure death? I think, I mean, there's some mysticism in here, but I think uh, this is a, this is going to be rationalism. Ah, rationalism to uh, formulate a way that, that God's word is not true when it says, He who sins will surely die. Okay, well, I have another one for you. You ready? Yeah. Looking to absolve your sins? Well, the solution is right at your fingertips. The Vatican has announced Pope Francis will be offering forgiveness in 140 characters or less. Per tradition, Francis will offer plenary indulgences, that is, reductions on purgatory time, to participants at World Youth Day later this month. A Vatican official told Vatican Radio indulgences are linked to a theme that Pope Francis has spoken very frequently about since the moment of his election, that is to say, to the gift of God's mercy. About two million pilgrims are expected to head to Rio de Janeiro for the new pontiff's first trip abroad, hoping to shave off some time in limbo. But they're not the only ones. Any of his seven million Twitter followers legitimately prevented from attending will have the same opportunities. Francis has extended the rights and pious exercises of the event to those following it on TV, radio, and through social media. But there's a catch. A Vatican source tells The Guardian you must follow the events live online. Periodically scrolling through the Holy See's Twitter feed just won't cut it. Archbishop Claudio Maria Celli put it this way. You don't get the indulgence the way you get a coffee from a vending machine. No. There's no counter <laughs> handing out certificates. Perhaps the news yeah, shouldn't baby. come as that much of a it's surprise. It's not that easy. The Vatican, while often criticized for being slow to change, has found new ways to connect with followers outside <laughs> beyond church pews. It now has a Facebook page, YouTube channel, and even a Pope app for Catholics on the go. What? But while the church may be getting more tech-savvy, Francis himself still has a ways to go. A Catholic TV channel editor reflects on a conversation he once had with the Pope. Once I wanted to give him a CD player. He asked me how many buttons it had. Three or four, I said. And then he said, it's not for me. It gives me a headache if there are more than two. Francis's Twitter account tweets in nine languages, <laughs> He's an Apple including guy. Latin. What do you think? Forgiveness he, is free? He tweets Come in on. nine languages? I know. You can't just stand in line for forgiveness. you got to watch the Pope live. Scrolling through the Twitter feed. Newsy. I, I think my favorite of <laughs> Multiple that. Multiple sources of ridiculousness. I think my favorite of that was when he said that. Uh, these indulgences are connected to uh, the gift of God's mercy, which to that I would wonder uh, what Luther said. Well, if if this is so great, why doesn't the Pope just give them out? You know, I mean, if this is God's mercy, does God's mercy only apply to those who look at the Pope's Twitter feed? 
I mean, yeah. Come on. <laughs> and no, it's no. That's not even enough. You can't just look. You it's that you can't just scroll through <laughs> the Twitter feed. You gotta watch the thing live. <laughs> this indulgences are not like getting a coffee. This is and and all of this in the context of the church modernizing. It's yeah. Like yeah, we've moved a long way from the Middle Ages. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> We're way past that idea of purgatory and indu- wait, a wait a minute. minute. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds so I mean, familiar. Is this a rerun? I know. <laughs> we got to come up with a new thing. It's not a coin in the coffer rings a soul from Purgatory Springs. It's got to be a tweet from the Pope is viewed and a soul from Purgatory flewed. <laughs> <laughs> Let's work on that. That needs a little bit. Oh, that a was l- good. A little that bit was... of honing, I think. Can you believe that? I mean... Oh, I'm actually going to go in my book. That's going in your book? <laughs> yes. All of this is a denial. Be sure, of to, be sure you cite Newsy. <laughs> Newsy. One source, multiple ridiculousnesses. I'm sorry to announce that our last clip does not come from Newsy. It didn't? Where did it come from? No, the, the one forthcoming. Okay. Yeah. That's the latter, by the way, of moralism. Ah, sheesh. Morally. I mean, you know, people think the popes nowadays are nicer than they used to be. I mean, the popes used to be, in the Middle Ages, kind of floozies. Now they're what Martin Luther calls the white devil. (laughs) In other words, they might have loads of good works, but their doctrine is just as ridiculous. I mean, and you know, I mean, we should spend some time digging out what this whole purgatory and indulgence business means, but it basically means this. You got to have enough good works in your bank account to get to heaven, and you probably don't <laughs> because you're miserable. And so the Pope has access to other people's good works—Jesus, Mary, all the other saints—and he can give you a little bit of those if you do something. So you fi- he, you sign onto the Twitter feed, and the Pope just you know turns the key and lets a little good works go into your account. Oh, yeah. That's really, really bad. Yeah, not in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> not in the Bible. <laughs> All right, I got one more for you. This is uh, Michelle Merchant. She's a teacher, and uh, this is what she has to say about uh, the way that she prepares for class. There's been times when I'm teaching that I'll have an impression come to me of something I need to share. And I contribute that back to hopefully what I did in the early hours of the morning preparing for the Spirit. Um, I didn't experience this past year where I had a good friend of mine send me an email with a story that she felt impressed to share with me. And I was preparing for a class. I was teaching at 4 o'clock that day. As I read the story, I, I mean, just even saying this to you now, it's kind of cool. I feel chills go through me. I knew I was supposed to share it in class that day. And I had many students ask me later for that story. And I knew it was something that I'd been guided to share. So I think it could come in different Venues, but I think that the whole point is that if I try to prepare myself for the spirit, that it can really guide me. All right. Wow. What is she teaching, by the way? Uh, is she I'd... teaching like horror culture? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just teaching geography <laughs> or, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, the. <laughs> Possible. It could be. Oh, this is like a cooking channel, a cooking show. <laughs> I got this story about how this one egg cracked one time, and I was really moved. I really had this great impression because I was... You know, to tune in your soul to the spirit, by the way, is not like tuning a radio. I was a little bit flippant earlier 
we heard in this story that it takes time to prepare because because the soul in touch with the spirit is 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 uh, much more like a seismograph machine. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very sensitive. It's very sensitive readings. You got to pick up, you know, slight movements. You have to be able to interpret and to to have your soul so strung so tight <laughs> that you're able to absorb those slight radiations. <laughs> takes work. I mean, you are, you're sitting here laughing at it because you do not have the sensitivity of soul Obviously. that we mystics have. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> so what do you think? I'd say this would go into mysticism. And it, it is embarrassing to really hear Christians talk like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, ugh. Christianity is a religion of the word. And here we are all the time talking about how we need to be silent, you know? And we need to we need to be... And so that we can tune in our souls to hear the, the divine impressions. I thought I was just ready for her to say it was really a God thing. <laughs> uh, do you do you want to guess what uh, school she teaches at? Um, hmm. No. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah, sure? I was making fun of it earlier. Uh Yes. Uh, she, I think she teaches at Annapolis, the Navy training uh, facility. <laughs> False. <laughs> she teaches at BYU. Oh, there you go. Mormonism is mysticism. I mean, if anyone was ever <laughs> about no, I think I just wanted to you know, point this out that uh, it's an assumption and a valid assumption at that, that you are listening to a, a, a Christian talking, right? Because this is something that you would commonly hear a Christian say. But this is the very thing that, that Mormons rely on when they come to your doorstep and, and, and they can't convince you intellectually because intellectually it's kind of a joke. They're going to try and convince you by mysticism and say, well, why don't you fast, you know, not eat anything for three days and see if the Holy Spirit gives you the burning in your bosom. Well, oh, that, yeah, the burning bosom. That could be mistaken for extreme hunger, but some people... <laughs> <laughs> I have sensations in my stomach I've never felt before. It's almost like I'm hungry. My bosom... It's burning. This dear saint <laughs> is is not how God communicates to us in the Christian church. Uh be, I mean for this very reason. Uh, you have the the Muslims, the the Mormons, the the new agey mystic people, they're all saying that God is talking to them internally, but the thing that we have is a God that speaks to us externally. And so now yes. the question isn't something like uh Am I feeling the right thing? The question is simply, can I read the Bible? Is is <laughs> is the Bible clear enough to understand, to know what God is saying? And if you can read things like, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, then you can know that God is talking to you, that he gave yes. his life for you and forgave your sins. Oh, You're just not sensitive enough to the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that, good enough? Mean. is that good enough for 500 points of buzzword? What did you say? The cl- did you say clarity of Scripture? I said that the Scriptures are clear. Does that count? Yeah, that'll count. I was All busy right. reading reviews on the Pope's uh, Android app. <laughs> how, how are they getting? I mean, very quick and easy to install. Does anybody have the Excellent audacity to app. say, Dear Pope, this app stinks? <laughs> I mean, Pope Sweet, it says. <laughs> okay. Crashes on 3S. Crashes when I open via... Uh, oh, that's my phone. Oh, uh-oh. 
All right. Well, uh, if you have something you want to tell us about what you heard today, send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. And thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like the time out of purgatory you get from installing the Pope app. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. Kudos. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of the station. From the Pontifical Council for Social Communication. today's show. Call us toll free. 1-800-385-SOLA. That's 1-800-385-SOLA. Or send us an email. Questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.